G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. My name is Tanya Chapman, and today I'll be speaking about a case with the argument our parents don't need anyone to look after their money because we've already taken all of it. And if you want to find out if that argument worked, stick with me. The first thing you need to know is that this case was heard in the Western Australia State Administrative Tribunal. Where a person lacks the capacity to make decisions for themselves, the tribunal can appoint a guardian or an administrator to help in making any necessary decisions. A guardian makes personal decisions like where the person lives, who they have contact with and what medical and care treatment they receive. An administrator is like a financial manager. They manage the person's money and property and make sure that it's safe and not being wasted or misused. In Western Australia, if there is no family member or friend who can be appointed as guardian, the public advocate is a government organisation that can take on the role. If there is no family member or friend who can be appointed as administrator, the public trustee is a government organisation that can be appointed to manage the person's finances and property. The second thing you need to know is that in these types of cases, they usually don't publish anyone's name to protect the party's privacy. They only use initials. I wasn't sure whether to use the initials or to make up names for the parties. I decided to use initials because if I want everything to be as correct as possible and I made up names, it wouldn't be. Also, there's the slightest risk that I might choose the party's actual name. Not likely, but best not to risk it. In this case, the mother is GYM and the father is KRM, but I'll mainly refer to them as the mother and father. The sons are CM, GM and BKM, and I'll refer to them by their initials uh, unless I'm referring to them as the three sons. The granddaughter is BM, but I'll mainly call her the granddaughter. Now onto the facts of our case. The mother is 81 years old and the father is 87 years old. They have been married for 63 years. They have three sons, CM, GM and BKM. They have several grandchildren. One of them is the granddaughter BM. She is the daughter of BKM. The parents had originally lived and worked on a farm in Western Australia. But shortly before applications were made to the tribunal, they moved to live at their house in Mullaloo. It appeared that there was a history of family discord between the sons and the grandchildren, but things really kicked off in early 2017. In March of 2017, the parents sold their farm for 1615000 The proceeds were deposited into the parents' bank account. BKM managed the sale of the farm, and on the 8th of March he transferred $50,000 from his parents' bank account to his, as commission for his role in the sale. On the 10th of April 2017, the granddaughter, BM, made an urgent application to the tribunal for the public trustee to be appointed as her grandparents' administrator and the public advocate to be appointed as their guardian. So she wasn't applying for herself to be appointed, she would prefer that the government take on the role. In her application, the granddaughter said that both of her grandparents had dementia, the grandmother had a heart condition that required medication that was frequently not being administered, there was insufficient or expired food in the house and the grandmother had lost a significant amount of weight. 
The grandparents had missed multiple medical appointments and family events. The house was dirty, unkempt and dilapidated. The landline was disconnected and family members' phone numbers had been deleted or blocked from the grandparents' mobile phones, preventing family members from contacting them. BM claimed that GM and CM had emotionally and financially abused the grandparents. She claimed that during 2016, her father, BKM, had sold his parents two cars, their tractor and a significant amount of farm machinery and tools and that BKM had kept the money from the sales. She also said that BKM had isolated the mother and father from the rest of the family. Two days after making her application, BM went to visit her grandparents at their Malalu home. Her father, BKM, was there, as well as one of her cousins. There was an altercation which resulted in BM getting a restraining order against her father and the cousin being charged with the assault of BM. The next day, BM arranged for her grandparents to see a medical practitioner. They were admitted to hospital and BM was noted as the next of kin, and the three sons were prevented from having any contact with their parents while they were in the hospital because of BM's allegations of neglect and financial exploitation. On the same day that the parents were admitted to hospital, the son, BKM, transferred $244,314 from one of his parents' bank accounts into his bank account. He also transferred the balance of the proceeds from the sale of the farm, $1,606,523, which was transferred from his parents' bank accounts into his bank accounts. Shortly thereafter, BKM divided the proceeds of the sale of the farm equally between him and his two brothers. All three sons knew about the bank transfers, but the parents couldn't have known about them because they were in hospital at the time and the sons were not, were not allowed to contact them. On the 19th of April, nine days after the granddaughter's application, the tribunal received a second application from the son, CM, seeking that he and his brother, GM, be appointed as guardian and administrator. In his application, CM confirmed that his parents have dementia and have trouble making financial decisions and dealing with their own hygiene. He said that it was becoming difficult for the father to care for the mother. CM also claimed that the parents were vulnerable to financial exploitation by their grandchildren. The day after this application was made, BKM attended the hospital and used a false name to gain access to his parents and discharged them against medical advice. I'm so confused as to how he was able to do that. I would expect that he would need to show ID at the very least if he is discharging them, but obviously not as he was using a false name. The parents still needed care so they couldn't return to their home. Instead, they were taken to live with CM and his wife for about 13 weeks. The parents were required to pay $3,000 in rent and also paid for all of the groceries. While his parents were living with him, on several occasions CM took his parents on an excursion to an ATM. Sometimes he would take them several times a week, each time they would withdraw about $1,000. There was no explanation as to what these funds were for or where the money was spent. On the 21st of April, the public advocate was appointed as guardian for three months to make limited medical and care decisions for the parents. No administrator was appointed to deal with the financial side of things as the tribunal needed further evidence. There were delays in the hearing to gather evidence, to make sure the parties were legally represented and to replace a tribunal member where there was a risk that the member was not impartial. All these delays meant that the tribunal hearing wouldn't take place until September. In the meantime, on the 15th of May, the three sons took their parents to a solicitor to prepare a deed of gift and a transfer document 
to transfer the Malalu home to the three sons as a gift. They also got their parents to do new wills at the same time. All the documents were signed in front of the solicitor. The solicitor was not told that the tribunal proceedings were underway, that the parents had dementia or that an independent guardian had been appointed. The transfer was registered on the 31st of May and the Malalu property became the property of the three sons. So just to summarise, by this point BKM has the proceeds from selling off the farm equipment and vehicles. The three sons have proceeds from the sale of the farm and now they also have the Malalu home. And CM has also received some money from bank withdrawals. The sons undertook renovations to the Malalu property, which was paid for by the parents, even though the property was no longer theirs. In July, the parents returned to the Malalu property and it was arranged for services to attend the home to deal with cleaning, to provide meals and to make sure the parents took their medication. The three sons visited their parents often. On the 26th of July, BKM transferred $200,000 to his parents' bank account. He later described this as repayment of the $244,314 he had taken in April, but he didn't explain why he hadn't repaid it in full. In August, despite the three sons receiving the proceeds of the sale, the parents paid a tax debt of $33,000 for the sale of the farm. And finally, the tribunal hearing commenced on the 14th of September and was finalised on the 9th of October. By the 9th of October 2017, the parents had approximately 40000 in their bank account and they no longer owned any real estate. Because of the significant assets that they should have had, the parents were not entitled to Centrelink age pension. Basically, if you have money and property and you give it all away, you then can't claim Centrelink age pension for five years. The presumption is that when money is transferred from a parent to a child, that it is actually a gift, that they are giving it away. So it is up for the parents to prove that it wasn't a gift, which they haven't done yet in this case. Therefore, they can't get the pension. So that was all the background facts and the nitty gritty. Now time for the tribunal's decision. We're going to get into a little bit about exactly what the tribunal has to consider. It's not a simple case of the tribunal going, oh, well, that's wrong. We'll just rectify it. They have to follow a line of questioning to determine what they can actually do. So the tribunal starts the proceedings by presuming that the person of interest, in this case, the parents, do have capacity to make their own decisions and don't need anyone else to make them. That is the starting point. This is because removing a person's right to make decisions for themselves is one of the most serious decisions that the tribunal can make. The tribunal needs to have sufficient evidence to prove that the person does not have capacity before they will make an appointment. Once they determine that the person does not have capacity, the second question the tribunal asks is, does the person need a guardian or administrator to make decisions for them? Because if there aren't any decisions that need to be made, they generally don't need to make an appointment. If the person lacks capacity and there are decisions to be made, who should they appoint? That's the third question. And the tribunal is not limited to the request made in the applications. So in this case, the granddaughter applied for the public trustee and the public advocate to be appointed, and CM applied for himself and GM to be appointed. The tribunal can also consider any other person though, so they're not limited to those listed in the application. If there are other family members or friends who would be more appropriate, the tribunal may appoint them instead. 
So question one, do they have capacity? In this case, the tribunal found that the father did not have the capacity to make financial decisions, but he did have the capacity to make personal decisions. So he doesn't need a guardian, only at an administrator. The medical evidence proved that the mother had dementia and lacked the capacity to make both financial and personal decisions, so she needed both. So having determined that the mother lacks the capacity to make medical decisions, are there medical decisions that actually need to be made for her? The tribunal found that there was no current need to make accommodation decisions and the tribunal also expressed the hope that in the future the sons could make that decision in the parents' best interest which seems a bit of wishful thinking to me. However, they did say that a guardian was required to arrange for medical assessments, including an ACAT assessment, and to make decisions about who can have contact with the parents. So the answer is yes, there are decisions for a guardian to make. Now the tribunal needs to decide who should be appointed as the guardian. The tribunal was reluctant to remove the most personal decisions about the mother from her closest family members. The granddaughter argued against appointing the three sons because she was worried that her grandparents would be on their deathbed in hospital and the sons wouldn't tell her. The sons agreed that they would notify all grandchildren of any relevant medical news such as an hospitalisation. The mother also expressed the wish that her sons make any medical decisions for her and that she would like to stay in her own home. Even though it has been determined that she does not have the capacity to make medical decisions, the tribunal must still give consideration to the mother's opinion, and they did in this case. For a while, a comprehensive formal assessment of the mother's care needs, including an ACAT assessment, had needed to be done, and the sons had never got about doing it. The tribunal determined that a guardian was needed to arrange this, and that the sons were not appropriate as they had already failed to do it. One of the roles of the guardian can be deciding who is allowed to have contact with the parents. There were several things acting against the sons. The sons were in conflict with the grandchildren, which meant that they could hardly be unbiased. The sons were also at the parents' house pretty often, which meant that they were able to restrict access from other people. Further to that, the sons had also installed security cameras around the parents' home and inside the living area, and the security cameras would send vision directly to the son's mobile phones, so even when the sons weren't at the property, they could tell when anyone else was. The tribunal appointed the public advocate as the mother's guardian. Remember that the tribunal decided that the father had capacity to make medical decisions, so he didn't need a guardian. The tribunal had found that both parents were unable to make decisions in relation to their finances. So question two, are there any financial decisions that need to be made? Hell yes, within one month a substantial estate had diminished to almost nothing. The limited funds remaining would soon run out and the parents would need money to pay for necessities and medical needs. It was vital that an administrator be appointed so that they could look into all of this. Again, the sons were seeking to be appointed themselves, but it didn't look good that they were aware that their parents were not eligible for Centrelink pension and yet had not made any financial contribution to the parents' welfare. The only argument put forward by the sons for their actions was that they needed to protect their parents' estates from possible exploitation by the grandchildren. To quote the tribunal decision, It seems a nonsensical position for the sons to put that we took all our parents' estate to prevent their grandchildren from doing so. Indeed, the sons having taken almost the entirety of the estate have certainly prevented any potential exploitation of their parents by other parties. 
end quote. The tribunal found that the sons could not be the administrators because it would be necessary for the administrator to investigate and attempt to recover some of the assets that the sons had taken. The sons also tried to argue that their parents didn't need an administrator to manage their funds because they didn't have any funds. And again, that argument was unsuccessful. For both the mother and father, the tribunal appointed the public trustee as administrator for a period of three years to allow sufficient time for the dodgy financial transactions to be investigated. The three sons in this case did so much wrong. As well as stripping their parents of all of their assets and money, they also attempted to isolate the parents and prevent the grandchildren from seeing them. They also didn't follow through on getting a medical assessment of their mother like they should have done. Plain devil's advocate, let's say that they were genuinely concerned that the grandchildren would strip the parents of all assets. If everything was in the son's control, they could make sure it was available for the parents to use. Some problems with this argument. There was no indication that the grandchildren had taken anything from the parents. But there was already indication that BKM was selling off their farm equipment and vehicles and keeping the money. Also, once the assets and money were in the son's hands, they weren't exactly using it for the parents' benefit. Yes, the parents continued to live in their home, which technically the sons owned, but there was no evidence that the sons were going to give them an allowance to pay for their day-to-day needs. Um, There was no provision made if the parents needed to go into aged care, so there was no agreement that the house would be sold and the proceeds put forward. And they didn't really put any evidence before the tribunal about how they intended to provide for their parents, which leaves me to assume that they didn't have any intentions to do so. Yes, they might have had good intentions, but I don't see any evidence of that in this case. We don't really know the outcome of this case. So the public trustee was appointed to investigate the dodgy dealings, the transfer of the proceeds for the sale of the farm and the transfer of the house, as well as some of the other transactions. Once the public trustee has enough evidence, they can negotiate with the sons for the return of the money and property, or if that fails, they could start legal proceedings against the sons to get it back. Even if they did go to court, I don't have anyone's name, so I can't look up a case, um, which means I don't get an answer and neither do you. We can only hope that the sons didn't spend all the money before some of it could be returned to the parents. Another sad thing about this case for me, apart from the fact that I don't get to know the ending, is that um, the parents in this case had three children, their three sons. And in some families, there'll be one child who does wrong and takes from the parent or abuses the parent's trust. And in this case, it was all three. That must have been particularly heartbreaking, that it was all three of their sons acting against them to do this. Um, It's a good thing they had their granddaughter on their side. That was the case of GYM and KRM. The citation is provided in the notes. If you have any thoughts on the case or recommendations of cases for me to cover, I'd love to hear them. If you are a legal eagle out there and you actually know the follow-up to this story, I'd definitely love to hear that. Um, and you can email me at elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. So that's elderservice, one word, at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. I hope you'll join me next time on Age, Abuse and Justice. Mm-hmm.